0: Amen. Well, let's go ahead and get started here. i um, going to open in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning, and we just thank you for the word that we're about to hear. Father, I ask that it would be your words that I speak, and that it would be your words that the people would hear, Father. We just thank you for teaching us this morning and giving us encouragement and words to live by. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to talk this morning about the joy in the Christian life. The last time I spoke with you, we spoke about joy, and we're going to be reading this morning from James, chapter one, verse two through four. But I just want to recap a little bit about what I spoke about last time. Last time we were in Philippians four, uh, verses four through nine, uh, where he tells us to rejoice in the Lord, and again I tell you to rejoice. There were. Three points that I brought up about that, and that it was that uh, rejoice in the Lord, it is a commandment. It's not just something that we can take for granted, that we can do when we feel like it. Um, The second is the sphere of this joy. Where are we supposed to rejoice? The rejoicing is in the Lord. And then the time. The time was always. In fact, the scripture tells us, and is adamant about it, that it tells us twice, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. So this morning, as I was preparing for this message, I wanted to take a look at what does joy look like in your Christian life. In James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. As I was saying when I was preparing for this, I wanted to know a little bit about what does joy look like in Christian everyday walk of life. If you notice here, and I did not read, but in chapter 1, this is just an introduction, it says, James, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered, scattered abroad. He says, Brethren. And the reason I bring this up is, is that it's important to note that he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to the brothers in Christ, or sisters in Christ. He's talking to those that are, have a kinship in the Lord. So right away we know that he's talking to Christians when he wrote this. He says, My brethren, count it all joy. The word count there can be translated consider or evaluate. And then the word trials could be uh, denotes uh, it's a break in the pattern of peace or joy or comfort or happiness in someone's life. The verb form of this word means to put someone or something to the test. So, with those in, in mind, we could read that verse as saying, My brethren, count or consider or evaluate when you fall into various... The word trials is when you have a break in peace or in comfort or in joy. So he's telling us that there's going to be a break. There's going to become a time when you have the opportunity to not be joyful. To have occasions to not rejoice in the Lord. But he reminds us here count it a joy that those come. The first point that I want to make tomorrow this morning is, is that it's your faith that is tried. A lot of us get into situations and we want to consider that, oh, woe is me. But as a Christian, we need to know that it's our faith that is being tried. I don't know if you all know this, but I am a kung fu master. I am a graduate of Saturday morning kung fu movies. (laughs) When I was young, my brothers and I used to gather on Saturday mornings, and there would be three or four hours of the worst movie history, movie in the world that we would watch on Saturday mornings, and we loved them. (sighs) These are the movies that I'm talking about that have the subtitles, that have the strings that pull things that you can see. When people flip, you can see the the strings that they're being hung from. But we loved them, and we would get up every morning and we watched them, and there was a common theme to these movies. In the beginning, some weakling would get beat up because he was wanting to protect his family, his girlfriend, uh, a business that was dear to him, or whatever, and the bad guys would beat him up and take whatever it was that they wanted. So in his search, in order to be able to protect said business, friend, loved one, or whatever, he would go and find a master to teach him. So we can kind of equate that to here as that was the trial that he fell into. The trial was he got beat up. But in the stories, he never ended there. It says, the count it all joy when you fall into various trials or tests. Uh, in Acts 16.16, 16, we find the story of Paul and Silas that they've been imprisoned. It says, Now as it happened, we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim us the way of salvation. And she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, it's nice to see that Paul, someone we think that's an icon in church history whose words are written that we revere as the Word of God, he was annoyed. <laughs> this person was getting on her his last nerve. Paul was greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates And said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now I don't know about you all, but I would count that as a diverse trial. I haven't been beaten and stripped and thrown in jail and locked up just because I cost somebody some money. So basically this was the equivalent of somebody downtown making money off somebody telling your fortune, and you going and stopping their ability to make their fortune. And the only reason you're put on jail is because you cost these people a profit. So Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. And they, if anybody has cause to be upset and woe is me, I would think it would be Paul and Silas. First they were annoyed. This person's following around, just bugging them, getting on their last nerve. Then when they finally they quiet them, they're thrown in jail because the person was getting on their nerves. In, in searching and researching and studying for this, uh, I wanted to bring New Testament examples. And so we, we look at this one right here. I don't know if you can think of any trials in your lives, but I can think of many in my life. Uh, never seems to be enough money. Always kind of the month ends out before the money runs out before the month does. The last year, two years, uh, there have been uh, trials of people being sick, people dying, just personal tragedies. Um, For those of you at work, you feel trial and pressure at work. So I think we could probably all count many trials that we go through. But it's kind of a good thing because it's your faith that is being tried. Who do you put your trust in? when that trial comes? Where is your joy coming from when that happens? When you're being pressured at work, are we thinking, God be glorified in this situation? When the debt collectors are calling, are you you thinking, how can God be glorified in this situation? I think that we probably should be. Which brings me to my second point. Faith works patience by trials. If it wasn't for those situations, we wouldn't be able to have faith, and our faith would be weak. Take my kung fu example. In the story, after they got beat up, there was always an intense period of training where the young hero would find a master who would teach him and his trials were the training that he had to go through they always had these round pieces of wood sticking up that had sticking out of them and you'd you'd punch them and the master would turn it and it would hit him and something would happen or you'd be kicking sandbags and sandbags would be swung at him and it hit him and you would always see the hero being beat up by these inanimate objects. Well, we can equate those to the trials that we can face, because I, in life, you always feel beat up by those things that are going on in your life. When things don't seem to be going the way that they should. <laughs> Paul and Silas are example from the New Testament. What is it that they did while they were sitting in prison? Who can tell me? Who read ahead? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you here. Nobody read ahead like I do. But at midnight, midnight, that's about the time I'm going to bed. I'm a little tired to be up and be joyful. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and their prisoners were listening to them. What a testimony. They've been beaten. They've been stripped. They've been degraded. They've been uh, put to shame by being put in jail. But what are they doing? They're not in there. Wasn't me. I didn't do it. I don't know why I'm not here. I don't know why I'm here. Why is God doing this to me? They're not murmuring and complaining. They're praising God, praying and singing hymns. Their faith is being worked out and causing patience in their lives. You take for example a sailor, someone that has done it for a long time, a merchant that has made many voyages and many trips if it was me out on a boat, and I saw a 50-foot wave coming at me, I'd be down in the bottom with my life jacket on, cowering in a corner, praying to God to please save me. But if you look at sailors now, they're doing whatever it is that sailors do. And I have a brother that's in the Navy. He probably could tell me what they do when the 50-foot wave was coming at him. But I don't know if they turn into it. I don't know if... But sailors are out there. They're tightening things down, they're looking at this, they've been through this before. They're not worried by it. They know that if they follow the correct procedures, if they do the things that need to be done to get through the storm, that that 50-foot wave is not going to be anything. That's what we mean by faith works patience by trials. You could also look at patience as endurance. Sometimes it just takes a matter of time to stay in the the Word of God long enough to make it through a certain situation or a certain trial or a certain thing. I I often find that when I pray about a situation and I sit on it a while, that the next day it doesn't look as bad as it did the day before. And these are the things that we talk about when we talk about Faith works patience by trial. If you look at Matthew 14, it talks about Peter walking on the water. A lot of people kind of talk bad about Peter in this situation, but I think he's kind of got moxie or guts or whatever it is that you want to call it. He's the only one of the apostles that actually took the step out of the boat. If you don't know the story, in Matthew 14, they had been out, Jesus had been out preaching, and then they had been out into the water. And this particular day, the, the disciples were had taken the boat out into the middle of the lake, and Jesus wasn't with them. And then in the evening time, they see a, a figure walking towards them. And I probably would be freaked out too if I saw somebody walking on water towards me. When they finally realized that it was Jesus, and it wasn't some ghost or some Peter said, if that's you, Lord, call me and I'll come to you. Well, Jesus did that. He called Peter, and Peter walked out onto the water. Story goes on that Peter took his eyes off of God, or Christ, and he started to sink. And as he was sinking, Christ reached out and grabbed him. I think that the next day, he was probably like, John, you didn't get out on the water, but I did. <laughs> I didn't see you out there walking. I, play, I like to play a lot of basketball. I don't play as much now as I did when I was younger. But whenever a guy makes this stellar move or a shot or whatever, that's the only thing that that guy will talk about for the rest of the game. He may have missed. He may have allowed the team to score 15 other points, but he made that one great shot. So I of kind of imagine Peter. Peter was kind of a boastful person. And I don't think that Peter quite learned his lesson here because we find out later that he denied Christ three times. But what did Peter do to come on? He 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 went on to become, I believe, the leader of the disciples after Jesus was gone. And that only comes by the trying of your faith, by persevering and enduring through trials that are happening in your life. One of the greatest... Examples, I think, of faith being worked by patients is that of gold. <clears throat> they take gold and they will heat it up. And as they heat it, the impurities rise to the top. Well, that's kind of the way it is with our faith. Those trials will show us where our weaknesses are, where we need to discover the areas that we need strengthening in our life, where we need to work on. It's funny that trials that come, that work our patients, don't usually come in the areas that you're strong on. So if stealing money is not something that you're weak on, you don't normally come across situations where you're gonna be tempted by stealing money. But if you're one of those kind of guys that is married and having affairs is a weakness in your life, you're gonna find, once you get married, you're gonna have all kinds of opportunities to have affairs. And it's just kind of funny I think that how that works out. That it's we're tried by the things that cause us problems. Those areas that we need to have shore up our strengths where we really need to throw on God. Those things that we need strengthen in our lives. <sighs> Finally, we're going to come to point three, and that is completeness. In the Christian life, joy is tested by your faith being tried. But as your faith is tried, it is worked out in patience. And we find in James, it says that, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let have patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, laughing for nothing. The word complete and perfect here does not denote that you're going to have a sinless life. It leads to the being complete in Christ is, would probably be a little bit better translation of perfect here. Is that as you're making it through the trials, you're going to be complete. You're going to know how to face that storm. You're going to know how to deflect a punch when it comes your way or a kick when it comes your way. The third New Testament example I want to look at is Stephen or Stephen, however you want to pronounce it. And that is in Acts 7.54. And I don't know if you know the story here, but he's brought behold four of the elders. And Stephen just kind of lays into him and lets them have it. Tells him, you guys are just like your forefathers that didn't listen to the prophets. You killed the prophets. God punishes you, but you don't change. You guys are evil. You're wicked. You don't listen. You don't want to hear what God has to say. You don't do what God has to say. And that enraged them. I don't know about you, but there are times when I really hate to be told I'm not doing things right. One of the people that likes to tell me how I'm not doing things right all the time is my better half. (laughs) And I don't know why, but for some reason that just, you know, you would think that as a man that one would want your wife to tell you what you're doing not right, so that you would be a better man for your wife. But it just really irritates me when she starts telling me, you're not doing that right. And I think Stephen had this, this problem here. He was telling the elders that here's this young man telling them that they weren't being right before God. And they're like, how in the world can this young man tell him? So what happens to Stephen? He's dragged out in the city and stoned to death. And if you want to look at what a picture of completeness by having your faith tested looks like, you need to look at this man. I'm going to turn to Acts 7.54 real quick. And this is kind of some of the things. I'm going to start up a little bit higher, but this is some of the things he said to him. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. And if you want to cut at a Jewish man, you can tell him that he's uncircumcised, that he's not clean. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One? So in. He's telling them all these things, and in verse 54 as he says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, And they stoned Stephan, and he was called. As he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, then he knelt down, cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said that, he fell asleep. Now, you might be saying, but he died. (laughs) Well, that is true. He did die, but he went on to be in a better place. But I just cannot imagine in my flesh being an earthly man, if someone is killing me, that all I can see is God. All I can see is Jesus Christ. In my flesh, I would be wanting to hit back. I would be wanting to pick those stones up and throw them back at them. I would want to be taking one of those stones and hitting somebody in the face with it as they're trying to rip my clothes off. I'd be kicking them where it counts, trying to get some... I'd be taking as many people with me as I could. But this man, what is he doing? because his faith has been tried, because he is patient in God, because he knows what the joy of God is, he only sees God. Now I know that this is probably a supernatural manifestation of faith, because it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit at that time while this is happening. But I think that that's just a taste of what a Christian life should be like when those daily things come into your life, instead of looking at the problem, we should be looking at God. Instead of worrying about how we're going to meet the need, we should be rejoicing that God is sufficient enough to meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to have to figure some way out, but if you read the next part of this scripture, which is not part of my text this morning, it says, if you don't have wisdom, ask God. <clears throat> so I think it's kind of comforting that he tells us that it's going to come, how to get through it, and if we don't have enough information to ask God for the wisdom to get through it. Now in my Kung Fu example, the young man spent the first part of the movie getting beat up. The middle part of the movie he spent getting beat up by inanimate objects. But going into the, the stretch, he starts being able to get the best of those inanimate objects. He is now, when he punches the sandbag, it's splitting open. When he's hitting the wood that's turning around and hitting him, he's hitting it and they're splintering off. So we can see hope. We can see he's being he's been tested and he's met the tests. And now he can meet those inanimate objects. Now sometimes in the movie he will go and he'll fight somebody and he'll lose again. But he fought better than he had ever fought before, came closer than he ever came before. And a lot of times that person that he loses to becomes his ally because the person can see his commitment and his desire and that he's a good man now. We talked a little bit about gold. Now I want to talk to you from 1 Peter about how the gold, as it's heated, rise, the impurities rise to the top. And we know that that's what purifies us, is that our weaknesses are brought to the top where we can identify and we become complete through that whole process. In 1 Peter 1, I'm going to read a little bit here. In verse 3, and I'm going to start, it says, Blessed be the Lord, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. The genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen him, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you, rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There we see the completeness, here in First Peter. We've been tested by fire. We know that the end results is Jesus Christ, and our salvation of our souls. Verse 10, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, though those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. And this is what happens in completeness. Therefore gird up the loins in your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called is holy, and is also, and you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Father, the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's works, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believed in god who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope were in god since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all of the glory of man the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. I believe that the other things that I showed you were summed up in this passage right here. All of that though points to one thing. Our faith is completed, but what gives us the completeness of our faith? And I believe that the the answer is in verse 8, it says, Whom, having not seen, you love, though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's another translation that says that you know Jesus Christ. And I think that is a problem as churches in America we have today is is that we don't know who God is. We're so busy trying to name it and claim it, and I always hate using that, that term, Uh, My background is Word of Faith, but I think we become more engrossed in those things instead of in God. And that's what brings me to my last point. Point four, be still and know that God is God. I think that if you know this, one, two, three, come naturally. I'm going to read the scripture again because I think it's worth reading. Psalms 46 verse 10 It says, Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. As I said earlier, this be still here doesn't mean to do nothing. It means don't fear, don't worry, don't fret. Don't be concerned with how God is going to get you through the situation. It kind of reminds me of Matthew where it talks about, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I think we're not seeking God and knowing who God is in that situation that we're involved in. We're involved, We're more worried about what we're not doing or what we're doing or what we should be doing or what another person should be doing and not just sitting still. We're not waiting upon God. We're not having our faith renewed. We're not mounting up on the wings of eagles. I heard a story once that says that an eagle will fly into a storm, and when it gets there, realizing that it's in a storm, it will lock its wings. When most of us, we hit a storm We want to row and bail and do whatever, but that eagle just gets still. It knows what it's doing, it's been there before, it locks its wings, and when it locks its wings, the underdraft will cause it to push above the storm. So it's not that it wasn't doing nothing, it was that it wasn't fretting about how it was going to get through the storm. It knew that by being still it was going to be pushed above the storm. And I think that that is what we need to do. We need to be still and know that God is God. We need to continue working through the situation, doing what we know how to do, letting God guide us. But we don't need to be saying, oh, woe is me. As we looked at the stories in the New Testament, we looked at Peter and Silas. The end result of that story was The jailer came to know Christ, and his household was saved. Happy ending to the story, correct? Amen. Peter, Peter walking on the water, happy story, because he was saved and he was able to brag the next day that, hey, didn't see you out there on the water, didn't see see you walking there next to me, didn't see you make that shot. Uh, We looked at Stephen, not a happy ending in the physical term, but he was able to do something that most of us aren't able to do, and that is he could see the glory of God, because he was still, and he knew that God was God. But I want to bring another scripture that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and that is Job 19.25. I don't know how many of you know any stories about Job, or THE story about Job. Don't really know who the author of this book is. They believe that he's really a real-life person that lived at some point. Uh, the Bible doesn't really tell us a whole lot about it. It doesn't tell us if he was a seed of Abraham We're led to believe that he was not. We don't know what covenant he had with God was not part of the Abrahamic covenant that we know of. He definitely wasn't part of the New Testament where we have Christ, our Redeemer, who shed his blood for his sins. But God calls him a righteous man in this story. And if you don't know the story, this is a wealthy man. It looks like he was one of the wealthiest men in in his area at the time. (laughs) And something goes on in heaven that theologians have tried to explain. and. I'm not really here to debate the theology of what's going on there. We do know that God, that Satan goes to God and says, He's only, he only serves you because you protect him. And basically, God says, I'm not protecting him. Do what you want to him, except you can't kill him. And so Satan does everything he can do to him, takes his family, takes all of his possessions, takes his health, and then sends his friends to, sit at him and tell him, you should just curse God and die. So here is a man who does not really have fellowship with Christ the way we know fellowship with our God. This is a man who is counted righteous, like I said, because it talks about he used to give offerings for the salvation of his children because they were out partying and doing who knows what. And just to be sure that their sins were not counted against them, Job would offer sacrifices for their salvation. And God found this pleasant. And I was reading this scripture a few weeks ago because, as I shared before, it's nice when you're in misery to share somebody else's misery that's having worse than yours. And that's just the human part of me, okay? That's So I was reading this, and I came across this scripture. Verse nineteen or Chapter 19, verse 25. It says, For I know he was still, For I know that my Redeemer lives. He's talking about God, and he shall stand at the last day on earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns with me. This is the perfect picture of a man who was still before God and knew that God was God. He goes on to say that if God slays me, I will still worship God. I believe that the Holy Spirit had to reveal this to this man. And I don't think that many of us in our lives, talking about Christianity in America, not you and each and individuals here, but I'm sure each of us could probably learn to know God more. We are not still and do not know that God is God, or else we wouldn't be worried about our present situations, about the trials that we're going through. John Piper says that he believes that it's not against the teaching of the Bible to say that joy and Desperation are two things that can live side by side. Christian joy and desperation is something that Christians should be going, should be having every day. We should be taking that time in our prayer closets to find out who God is. Are we worshiping God when things are good, not just looking to Him when things are bad? This scripture was so profound on me. That it makes me want to weep every time I read this scripture. In the greatness, in the awesomeness of who God is. And it just astounds me to, to know that a man who does not have, did not have Christ at that time could know so much about God, that God is his Redeemer. Led me on another path of studying about that word Redeemer there. I shared this a few weeks ago. The word Redeemer there is Goel. And Goel can be translated into so many things. But it's a person or a position. One who goes and seeks revenge for you, one who redeems you or your name. But what really found I found awe-inspiring and touching about this word is, is that. This position, this word, usually described a close family member, somebody that knew you. And when you talk about God, our Redeemer, this is not just a God that's out there, this is a God that knows you. And it brought a whole bunch of verses together to me. That He knew you before the foundation of the earth. Because He's your Goel. He's a family member. He knows who you are. He knows the hairs, the number of the hairs on your head. Like a shepherd, he goes out and he seeks you, and he redeems you. And then Philippians 3.8, and I'm going to start wrapping it up there. In verse 8 it says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, and not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." The writer here tells us that it is the knowledge of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. I challenge the church and those listening by the internet to spend some time before God, to be still, don't fret, don't worry and find out who your God is. And then I'm gonna close with with this. This is John Piper talking uh, from the text of Philippians, and he reads it. I rejoice greatly that you have revived your concern for me and that you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. Now that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to bound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." Paul is saying you can hunger, you can be abased, you can go without, and I think you even say you can die content and peaceful. So what is the key? What is the secret? I have learned the secret of facing plenty of hunger. The key, the secret that Paul is talking about is the supremacy of the sovereignty of God and the supremacy of the sweetness of Christ, both of which permeate the book of Philippians. I think this points the perfect picture of knowing who God is, in hunger and in plenty. I am content. As I said, I challenge each one of you to get before God and learn who God is and be content. Not that there's a need, you're not content in the fact that you're going hungry, but you're content in knowing who God is, that God is your Redeemer. God is your seeker of justice amen thank god hallelujah